Really glad you're here. Um, going to get started with you here. Uh, we are in week three of a series called uh, Soul, which if you've missed the first couple weeks, um, you can check those out online. Um, Stacy mentioned I was out doing something less important um, during announcements, but did they mention that we're doing God's Not Dead coming up? Okay, that's, that's going to be fun, so um, please come back for that. That's the 26th. At 6.30, there's child care, so it's like a date night, free movie. Well, before we get started today, I um, want to give you a chance to, uh, to get some perspective like we do every week. I think this may be one of the most valuable things we do every Sunday, and I can tell you this. I had somebody come up to me a couple weeks ago and said, you do that every week, that kind of a deep breath thing. I said, yes, we do, because if we don't do it, then everything I say afterwards could be worthless, because you could totally miss it. So that's kind of why we do this every week, is just to give you an opportunity to kind of get your heart right and be in a place where you can listen today. The Bible says that, uh, and we know this to be true just out of our life even, that if you, if you keep listening to what I say on Sundays and you keep listening to the Bible and you keep listening to things, but you don't do anything about it, you're actually better off having never heard it in the first place. Um, because it does things to your heart that, that makes it hard and cold. And so we don't want you to just sit here today and listen. What we want you to do is sit here, listen, let it into your life, and have it make a change in your life today. And um, that's when this actually makes a difference in you. So before we get started today, we know we've got to get our hearts right. We've got to get in a place where we can listen. Um, we're going to talk today about how to do that, um, but <laughs> hoping you can do it a little bit right now so that you can be prepared to listen. I know I need it. Um, I, last night about uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I heard my daughter go, uh... And that's all, I mean, London doesn't ever make a noise in the night. She sleeps like a rock. So if I hear that, I am up out of my bed quick. And by the time I got to her bed, it was too late. She was already sick. And um, then woke up this morning, and Risha ended up staying up with her because I had to preach this morning, and I had to get a little bit of sleep. So Risha stayed up with her, and then we got up this morning, and um, I went downstairs, and London was still asleep on the couch, and Risha said, I got it. I think I got it. And so she went back to bed. I, told the, I left the kids today with Risha in bed and the kids downstairs and told them, unless there's an emergency, do not go upstairs. <laughs> Let, wake up your mom. So that's kind of been our last 24 hours. And if you're not careful, I'm sure you've had something similar. And if you're not careful, you just come in and you kind of go through the motions if you don't stop. So I need that too this morning um, just to take a break um, and get some perspective. So let's do that and we'll go right to God today and then jump in. God, if we're not careful, it seems like our lives get so crazy that it's easy to come in here and think of this time and of this place as some place that's just like another self-help book or another good idea that we can add and to our life and hopefully it gets better. And if we're not careful, we, we just kind of use this time as, a, as an opportunity to to learn a little bit, but then not apply it, and I don't know what that becomes, truthfully. So what we're asking right now is that you give us a, a break in our week, a break in our life, right now. Whatever we brought in here, whatever hurt as we walked in this door, we know we're probably going to walk out of here with it and face it again, but what we need is new perspective on it. So would you, over this next 30 minutes, give us that perspective? 
God, we have learned over this last few weeks that what is most important to you is not even our happiness. What's most important to you is not what goes on on this earth, but what goes on inside of our soul. We tend to the things outside of our soul all the time, and we have forgotten the soul. Would you help us understand what it means, and would you help us add practical ways to do this, this most important part of who we are? We give it to you today in your son's name. Amen. Something about this series um, has really impacted me. Um, I, uh, you're going to hear a little bit more today about why, um, but uh, if, you, if you're like me and you've kind of got to that point in your life where your kids are at exactly the right age to be in everything and your bills are in exactly the right place to be behind and all, <laughs> all the time and your work is crazy and everything in your life is just backed up, you know that you can very accidentally drift into a whole life that you never anticipated yourself having. And it's, it's, it just happens really, really slowly. Um, and you don't notice it. But you just you compromise a little bit at a time, and you start to do things you would never normally do, and you start to just kind of, okay, well, bedtime's normally 8, and this time it's 8.15, and yeah, you can stay up. And next thing you know, your whole routine's off, your whole world is messed up, and your, your kids are doing things you don't want them to do, and you can trace it back to a moment where, where something broke. And as we talk about the soul, um, over the last couple of weeks, it's, I've been reading this book called Soul Keeping, and some of you have picked it up. Um, pretty much everything I'm talking about in this, this sermon series comes from this book. It's a, by a guy named John Ortberg. If you're not a reader, um, then become a reader and write, read this book <laughs> um, because it's that big a deal. Even if you're not a reader, find a way to listen to it online or something because this, this is um, starting to hint at what it takes for us to be the people we intended to be um, and that God intends for us to be. And a, as I've gone through this book, I've got a whole different perspective on what our soul is. He, when, I, when I grew up um, as a preacher's kid and then as a preacher's grandkid and then as a, as a, a preacher myself, I've always heard the word um, soul. I've always heard it used in terms of saving someone's soul. In fact, I remember when I was in high school, um, I had dedicated my life to, to preaching, and, and the preacher at the church, it was a big deal. John has dedicated his life to preaching. I got in front of the church, and nobody was surprised because my grandpa and my grandpa and my dad and my uncle and everybody else had preached, and so now it was John's turn, and I'm a junior in high school, and I'll never forget, the preacher at this church in Ellettsville stood up, he put his hand on my back, and he says, John has dedicated his life to saving souls. And I looked over at him and I thought, hey, that's a pretty big thing. That's not, what I, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up to stand on the stage, have people laugh at me, look at me every now and then. I signed up to do ministry, to, to not have to like carry big things for a living, to not have to do construction. You know, I signed up for that, right? I, I signed up to be the, the preacher that you know, is, gets to eat fried chicken on Sundays for free because everybody invites him over. That's what I'm signing up for, right? And I'll never forget, junior in high school, I turned and I looked at the preacher. When he said, John has now dedicated his life to saving souls, I thought, can I retract? Can I, can I step back? Because that, that's not what I thought this was. Save it. John's going to save souls? How can... What? And I spent the next five years of my life freaking out about this huge thing that I have to do. And the truth is, what I began to learn was that John doesn't save a soul. Never. <laughs> that what John can do is help you get a deep breath from your life and help you realize that your soul is the most important thing about you. And if I can help you realize that your most important thing about you is your soul, you'll start to realize that that means that your money is not. 
That means that your boat and your car and your truck aren't. That means that even your relationships aren't as important as your soul and that you'll start to make a new covenant with God just between you and Him. And in the long run, it'll be God that saves your soul, not John. And I had to remind myself of that today because some of you need soul saving today. Some of you who have heaven in your future, who have been given the gift of eternal life, have broken souls in one way or the other today because you haven't tended to them. You have, in one way or the other, you have allowed your soul to get messy. You've allowed it to get gross. This illustration that we started with a couple weeks ago, I've been thinking about it for three weeks straight. And I don't know if these sermons impact you at all, but they are impacting me. Because <laughs> I'm writing them and I'm thinking about them. And I'm, I'm thinking of this story all week. And this, the way we started this was that there's a, a little town and at the, at the bottom of this big mountain and down the town, right in the middle of the town comes this big stream and it's beautiful and the whole town was built around this stream. And the stream is what causes people to enjoy their lives and it's what causes visitors to come by. It's a beautiful stream. The kids play in it. People um, drink their water out of it and it's beautiful. It's clean. It's clear. It's remarkable how clear it is. And finally someday the, the board of the, the town gets together and they say, we're spending way too much money and we need to cut something. And somebody says, well, there's a guy named Earl who lives at the top of the mountain. And his job for the last 40 years has been cleaning the, the river, been cleaning the creek to make sure that we can all enjoy clean, clear creek and this water. His job is to pull debris out and to take dead fish out and to make sure nothing comes down the stream. He takes care of our stream so that downstream we're okay. And somebody says, well, we can cut that job, can't we? How, how important could that be? He gets paid a lot. So they cut Earl, and it, it, immediately they get their money back, and they start thinking, that was the best decision we ever made, until about six, eight weeks later. When they wake up, the kids go out to play, and they decide they're not going to play in the creek today because there's stuff floating in it. There's dead stuff, and there's tree limbs, and there's new things, that have, because upstream, it's not being taken care of. Now, the, the writer, that's, I wish that was my illustration, but it's not. The writer of this book, John Ortberg, says that, this is, that, that your soul is like that stream. And you are Earl. Your job is to keep the stream. Your job is to keep the junk out of it because downstream in your life, downstream in your life where your kids and your wife or your workplace is, it gets ugly. If you don't take care of what goes on upstairs, if you don't keep your soul, if you don't keep the stuff out of it, if you don't, if you don't continue to keep it downstream, it'll be ugly. And some of you came in today going, you know what, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what's wrong with my life. It's broken. Something's broken in my life, and, and you've got dead fish. <laughs> dead fish, as a metaphor, just floating around your life. You've got the result of something upstream that you have never taken care of, and now you just want to clean out the junk, but you don't want to fix the problem, the source. And so what we're talking about, and we have over this last couple of weeks, and we're going to dig in a little more today, is about how to keep your soul, how to, how to keep it from the source, start it clean, so that you can be who you want to be and who God intended for you to be. Well, we know over, over the last couple of weeks we've looked at this, I'm not going to spend much time on it, that there are some parts of, your, of, of who you are, that next slide there, Tanya, parts of who you are that make you. Um, this is pretty interesting. Right now, Reese is becoming so, he's becoming infatuated with animals, which is my dad's favorite thing. Dad's a retired biology teacher, and nothing better than when his, kid, his grandkids ask him about human nature or about biology. He can, he can use all of his lessons plans from the last 40 years and teach his grandkids, and he loves it. But Reese starts to ask really in-depth questions. London could care less, 
But Reese is asking really in-depth questions. Hey, Dad, why do dogs have four legs and humans only have two? Well, that's a good question. And if you ask me, my answer is, that's the way God made them. Let's go do something else. If he goes and asks Dad, why do dogs have four legs and people only have two? It's four hours of lesson plans and PowerPoint presentations showing Reese how the... And it's amazing. And what I find out is that I kind of lean in and start going, yeah, I'm learning a little something. And my wife, Risha, um, I often say to her, did you even take science in high school? Because she, she seems to know nothing about the world around her, you know. She's an incredibly intelligent person, but has no n- need for science news. And so while my dad will be teaching my kids about things, she'll be going, no, I'm sorry, what would you say, Ken? What? Squirrels have nests, but they don't lay eggs? Yeah, yes, yes, squirrels don't lay eggs. Risha, did you even take science? You know, for a while she thought squirrels laid eggs because they have nests, you know. Um, so we had to clear that up with her. One day we came around a corner and there were big turkey vultures sitting out, out in the road over a, a piece of deer. And she came up over the hill and she goes, look at the size of those chickens. And I thought, man, we have got to get her weekly with Dad. We've got to get her in a weekly science class with Dad. But, but the thing is, there are some scientific things about there. There's some things that are true about you that from the very beginning of time, God built you this way. And there's some in-depth things, and there's nothing better than a biology teacher who also knows God. Because as he's talking to Reese, he's saying, well, here's, here's why dogs have four legs and people have two. But even more important than that, did you know that God made you? He made you with a will. You know what? He, he didn't make the dog, your dog with, with, a, with a will and the way he made you with a will. The dog loves you because you give him things. The dog loves you because you feed him. The dog, there's some kind of give and take there. You have a different kind of thing. God put in you something that's different than all the rest of the animals he's made. He's telling Reese this, and I'm kind of leaning in, writing sermon notes, you know. He says, you know, when God said, he, he told my son Reese this, God said when he created Adam, you have dominion over all the things. You know what he meant by that? It means that you're the most important. All these things that God created are important. We don't treat them poorly. If we shoot them to, to eat them, we shoot them to eat them. We don't shoot them and lay them in a field. We, we, we take care of these animals. If we're going to take care of the, if, if we're going to have these animals around us, we take care of them and they're important to God. But you are more important than any other animal on the planet. God has put things in you. He's put a will in you. The will is what makes you a person and not a thing. It's important, but it's limited. You can only do so much, and so you come in here, and, and this is why we come in and we go, why can't I quit smoking? Why can't I quit smoking? I want to quit smoking, and my will says I'm, gonna, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I know what it leads to. It, I, nobody needs to show me any more pictures of black lungs. I know what smoking leads to. It's not a matter of whether I want to. I want to. I've been trying to for many years. In fact, my family has all got around me and said, I want, I, we want you to quit smoking. And that day I cried and I wanted to quit smoking. My will is not enough. And so you come in and you go, I want to quit smoking. But the problem is upstream. The problem isn't the cigarettes that are floating in your life. The problem is deeper. It's further up the mountain where you're not keeping. The mind is the second thing that God made in you. It's a person's thoughts and a person's feelings. The mind, Romans says, the mind of the sinful person is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So he made the will, he made the the mind, he made your body. Which I'm really glad he made more than that. Because my body is is starting to die. I ran 10 miles yesterday. First time I've ever ran that long in my life. And by the time I got to about mile 7, I started thinking... What in the world am I doing? There is nobody chasing me. (laughs) 
I, I, I have no reason to be running, and uh, I got to mile 10, and I, I literally, I, I got in the car, and I had a little bit of a drive home. By the time I got in the car, I stepped out of the car, and then I fell right back in the car, and I sat in the car. Finally, Risha opened the door of the garage, and she said, I heard the garage door open. Are you still sitting in the car? I said, yeah, you might have to bring me a pillow, because I don't know that I can get out tonight. My body is just, it's, it, there's only so much your body can do. So God created in you the soul. In fact, he created all these things in Adam. The mind, the will, and the body in Adam. But he wasn't Adam. He wasn't a person. You weren't RJ because you have a will, a mind, and a body. You aren't Matt. You're not a golfer because you have a mind and a will and a body. It's not that. You're not John. You're not you with just a mind, a will, and a body. God breathed. He took a deep breath and he breathed into Adam his soul. And at that moment, you got yours. And it's what makes you, you, your soul. The human soul is what integrates all the rest of these things. So if you've got one problem, if you've got a problem with one of these things, to me, um, addiction is a matter of will and mind, and often the body. And if you're struggling with addiction today, and you're trying to fix the addiction by just going to your will, your mind, and your body, and you're leaving out the soul, you're missing it. Do you, do you get what I'm going here? You're missing it, because it's the soul that integrates everything else. If you can get your soul tended to, if you can get your soul in the right place with God, and in the right place with your life, and get your life perspective, the other things in your life, then you can deal with on a regular basis. So that's what we've been talking about. And today, I want you to know this, that true peace, the Bible says this over and over again, the true peace that you're looking for today, the true peace doesn't come from a will that's healthy and a mind that's healthy and a body that's healthy. That, that helps. But you know a lot of yoga instructors who are far from God and don't have peace. They look great, their body's great, they have control, discipline over them by, but there's still this brokenness about them. And the truth is that real peace, the peace you're looking for, comes only with a healthy soul. Now, I remember that when I was standing on that stage that day and the preacher said John is going to save souls now with the rest of his life. I remember thinking, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that, that means. And at that moment and still to this moment, I, I struggle with what that means. In fact, we often think that soul saving is about your destination, don't we? We think that when somebody's soul is saved, it means they're going to heaven instead of hell, Right? But the truth is, the Bible doesn't talk about your soul that way. The Bible talks about a saved soul as something that is from the beginning of its life through eternity, something God's intent is, is careful about. It reminds me of my dad's old jalopies. I, I've never seen a man who has owned more junky cars than my dad in his life. He owned cars without a front seat. He owned cars without a hood. He owned cars without a top. He owned cars without a floorboard in the back seat. He used to just put floor mats over it and staple them down. Holes in the back seat of his car. I've never, never seen a man who had cars worse than my dad. And he had one of his best friends in his life was a, owned a junkyard. And every time dad would buy a new car, the junkyard would find out what dad bought because he knew where it was going to end up. Eventually, and probably pretty soon, it's going to end up in the junkyard. And these jalopies had a, you know, if they had a soul... They would have a soul problem. There was something from the very beginning with these cars that were wrong, and Dad had to pay very little for them because they, there was something just inherently wrong with them. And what made them broken was not that they were going to end up in the junkyard someday. It wasn't the destination that made these cars a mess. It was their current condition. 
that made these cars a mess. And you need to know today that when we talk about your soul or we talk about your son's soul or your daughter's soul, some of you come in here with this deep, harsh pain in your life because you feel like that somebody in your life is a lost soul. And you come in and you pray for them and then nothing ever seems to change and God doesn't seem to be moving in their lives and they don't seem to be receptive. And so you have this hurt and this ache. Some of you feel as though your soul is lost. And the truth is when, when the Bible talks about your soul, it's not just about the destination. In fact, more often than not, it's not at all about the destination. It's about the current condition of the way you live your life. So many of you today have come in here, your, your, your uh, destination is heaven, but your current condition is broken soul. It's lost soul. And I, I'm out, I'm out to, to make a change to that around here. I'm out to make a change to that around here. And I'll tell you, we're, we're, you, you know that we're going to this God's Not Dead series next, and we're going to talk about it, and I am so excited about it. And that concept is amazing. Being able to say, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it, is an amazing thing, and you should be able to do it. But if your soul is a mess, and you watch God is Not Dead... If your soul is broken and you've got this thing inside you that isn't right and you watch God is not dead, you know what you're going to come out with? You're going to come out with it being more important than you're right than anything else. You're going to want to feel like you want to be right. I'm going to tell all my friends that I'm right. Not that there's something better. Not that you're not going to fall in love with God more. You're going to fall in love with you more. So here's what we want to do. Before we even get to this God's Not Dead series, we want to make sure that our soul is on the right path. So when we hear that, yes, we're right, and yes, yes, God has a plan, and yes, there's some science to prove some of this stuff, and God is not dead, that our next step is not to go find our buddy from high school who used to make fun of us and give him his, what he's due. That our next step is not to, to walk around with picket signs. and That our next step is to love people like we've never loved them because we now know beyond a shadow of a doubt we have the truth. The world we live in can prevent us from taking care of our souls. In fact, it usually does. Jesus was talking about it one time in Matthew. Matthew um, chapter 13, this is actually the very first parable. If you know what a parable is, a parable is a story that Jesus told. He used to do this all the time. It was kind of like my stream story this morning. I, I don't think there really, I mean, there might be something like that someday, but I, there's not really a story in an earl who lives at the top of the mountain, you know. I, that's a story that I told to say your, your soul is like that and you're like an earl, whatever. Jesus did this all the time because we need this in our life. And so Jesus did this one day, and it always relates to the people really well. It's amazing. Jesus was incredible with this. He told these parables, and, and this is the very first one that Matthew talks about and, and the one that Jesus is most in detail about. And he says, Matthew says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Jesus did this a lot because he got really busy and often he needed to get perspective. He needed to take a step back, and he did this really well. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this whole thing, and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat and he sat in it. I've felt that way before too. You just, your life gets so crazy. You just, I got to go somewhere else and sit by myself for a little bit. And that's what Jesus did. He sat in this boat and people couldn't hear him where he was standing. So he got out of this boat and he pushed away from shore. Um, I think Jesus must have had an understanding for acoustics a little bit because he pushed away from the shore and the water reflected his voice so that people could hear him on the bank. He had so many people around him. Then he told them many things in parables, and he says this. I love this story. If you're a farmer, you'll especially like this. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So if you, if you get a picture of this, if you're a, a current farmer, you've probably got a machine to do that. But at this point in history, if you're a farmer, what you would do is you'd have a big bag over your shoulder, especially in the Middle East. You'd have a big bag over your shoulder full of seed. And maybe you'd have some kind of seed in this bag and some kind of seed in this bag. And you would take it, and you would just scatter the seed. And that's the way you would begin your, your crops. 
And so that's the picture people would have in their head. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now the path in a field often was where the farmer or the sheep or if he had cattle or if he had livestock, this path is where the farmer would have led his sheep. And you know this from if you're a deer hunter or any kind of animals, if you have any kind of animals, they choose a path and they continue to use that same path. In the Middle East, this is what happened. Shepherds, farmers, um, they would create a path, humans and animals do it, and they would go right through these fields. And so picture, people would get this picture of a farmer dropping his seed and he would drop it on a path where all the animals would walk. And you know what happens, it gets hard pan. Matt, you know that from playing golf. Where everybody walks, you, you want to kind of kick your ball while nobody's looking because you don't want to hit it off of that. It's, it's hard. It's, it's firm. And so everybody would have understood what Jesus was talking about. It, it fell on the, this hard path. And the birds came along and ate it up because it was on top of the soil. It didn't get pushed in. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. You don't want to hit a golf ball off of that either because you'll break your back. It sprang up quickly. So what happens in the, in the rocky places is that there's, there's like bedrock. It looks good on top. There's topsoil, and, and the, the seed might start, but it doesn't take root. So it doesn't take long for it to die. It springs up quickly, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plant was scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. I always picture Jesus. He's probably standing somewhere. He probably knew what he was going to say. And, you know, he's standing in the boat. He probably picked the thorns as he walked out. So he's probably, it wouldn't surprise me if he's got him with him. You know, thorns. You know what these are? Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and it choked the plants. Still other seed, it fell on good soil. Well, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. So, at this point in history, you've got people that understand farming, not the way we do. They understand gardens, not the way we do. The way I understand gardens is, man, Bud grows some incredible cucumbers. <laughs> and if Bud brings me some cucumbers, I get to have some pickles. Or I get, if Bud doesn't bring me cucumbers, I, I'll miss them. But I'll get them, I'll get, it's not like I'm going to go hungry. If I don't get big tomatoes from somebody, I had people make me salsa this year. I had, I, by the way, keep that coming. I love it. And I, but, but it's not a matter of my life or death for me. For these people, this was a matter of life or death. If my seed drops in the wrong place, I don't eat if it doesn't grow. So what I want to do this morning, just quickly, is I want to use this same metaphor and replace the word seed with soul. That, that if somehow your, your soul is at stake here. I want to replace that, that word, with, or I'm sorry, not seed, soil. Soil with soul. So instead of saying that you're, you're, the soil is, is hard pan or the soil has rocky, it's that your soul is hard. Or that your soul is shallow. Or that your soul has thorns growing around it. And we're going to talk about what that means. But there's, firstly, there's always this with Jesus. When he tells these stories, there's a couple constants and a couple variables. The constant in this, I'm kind of studying this with you today, so bear with me if you're bored by that. The seed that, that Jesus talks about here is a constant. It's God's desire to redeem your soul. And it's this thing that throughout the whole Bible that, that is an amazing thread throughout the Bible. If you read the whole Bible, if you could sit and read it all at once, you would see this over and over and over again. That God, in the deepest part of who He is, the Bible says God has a soul. Isn't that cool? That the deepest part of God's soul's soul is giving you the chance to come to Him. And it is overwhelming 
in your life. So even if you don't believe in God, if you're listening to this online or somebody's drug you here and you're kind of in that place where you're going, I don't even know if I believe this stuff, you need to know that God built you so that you will desperately seek him. And this seed that is being dropped, Jesus' parable here is that God is the sower. And, and this seed that he's dropping, he's just generous with. He drops it everywhere. This is, this is, he's going to continue to let you have This is why when people come to me and they say, hey, I may not have another chance at this. I always want to say, well, you, you might get hit by a car today. So yeah, you need to come to Jesus. But you need to know if you don't do it today, God is going to continue to give you seeds in your life because he desperately wants you to be where he is. I, I, with Reese and London, I, I, as a dad... I often give them opportunities to make the right choices over and over and over. And Risha actually laughs at me when I do this because I'm, I can sound pretty loud and pretty harsh, but I'm a real soft guy for my kids. And so what I'll do is say, Reese, you got three seconds to do that. And he'll just look at me. So I'll say one, and just look at me. Two, and he'll just look at me. Now, Reese, I'll say, now, Reese, when I get to three, you better know that when I get to three, and Rich will start going, yeah, what will happen when you get to three? <laughs> Reese, you need to know that when I get to three, now, I do know, and Risha knows this too, that if I do get to three, it takes a lot for me to get to three. But if I do, it's a bad day. And Reese knows that if I get to three, it's a bad day. So everybody in the room knows that John... Dad will get to three, but Dad is going to take as long as he can to get to three. I'm going to give you every chance to get to three, so I'll say two and a quarter, Reese. If I knew fractions better, I'm sure I'd have a lot more steps. Two and a half, buddy. Two and a half. 2.634, come on. And finally, and I've been doing this recently, Reese, look at me. 2.8, man. I don't want to get to three, and you don't want me to get to three. And finally he'll go, okay, and he'll do what he's doing. And he knows, and I know both, that neither one of us want him to get to three. And here's the thing with you and God. God doesn't want you at three. He doesn't want you at the end of your life. He doesn't want you at the very last stage of your life to end up with no opportunity to finally make a choice for him. But every second that goes by, every moment that goes by, you are damaging your soul, walking away from him. The, the sower in this is God, and I love that he just keeps spreading seeds. Like, I'm just going to give you 2.5, 2.68, as many chances as you need, I'm going to give you. Next slide. So the first variable is in, in the soil. Um, we could replace the word soil with your soul. Um, the soul, the, the closed soul in your life um, is death. And that's just the truth of it. If you close off your soul to God, if you're here today and you go, you know what, this stuff is worthless, I don't care, I don't want any part of God, I don't want anything to do with a deeper part of who I am and what I, then you need, just need to know it, it leads to death. And I don't mean just eternally hell, I don't mean that, I mean death. I mean not the life you want. But the receptive soul leads to life. So I, I want to pick these out real quick and then we'll be done. And I want to see where you might find yourself today. The first is the hardened soul that Jesus talks about. And this is that, that path where things get really hard pan. And man, if you're a golfer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that, that part where you can be walking and it's soft and all of a sudden you go, oh, people have walked here. 
and I'm kicking my ball off of that thing because it hurts when I hit it, and I'm going to hit it thin, and it's just it's not a good deal. So it, this, is, this is a picture of our lives. The hard soul can happen often because of hurt. If you've had hurt in your life, if somebody has hurt you, it makes you just hard. It makes you just like not receptive, not ready to hear. In fact, I see this in people. I can see this in people's face. This happens to me after, and it's happened in our community so many times. When a tragedy happens, everybody comes to church. Have you noticed that? And I have this awful thing that comes into me as a preacher where on Saturday I go, the church is going to have more people than we have at Easter. And I should be excited about that. But I'm not because the reason they're there is something else. And So I'll stand up and I'll, I'll be praying, God, I want to give them peace today, but I want to give them truth. And I'll look and I'll see some people whose lives are kind of softened. And then I'll look over here and it's usually the family. Or I'll look over here and it's usually like somebody who's really, really hurt by this thing. And it's just in their face. You can see their soul's not going to be receptive right now. It's hardened. And this happens in our lives when we think of ourselves as a victim instead of a human. You know what I mean by this? When you wake up in the morning... And you don't think of yourself as somebody that God put on this earth. You think of yourself as a victim of a crime. I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe that I had to go through this. When, this, when you think of yourself as a victim instead of as a human who God is walking through a journey with, you become hardened in your soul. Now here's the thing about the, the hardened ground. It just takes a little softness. Usually the way I see that is with a baby. Just a brand new baby. I've seen the most tough, angry men who are the most loud, obnoxious, tough guys be reduced to nothing because a six-pound, eight-ounce, 17-inch long little baby entered their life. And that's all it took. Just a little softness. goes a long way, and that's the way God created you. I've seen this happen before. You know, some of you have sidewalks like this. Right outside your house right now, I know. Sidewalks where there's a little tiny crack in the sidewalk, just a tiny crack in the sidewalk, and it's the place where all the weeds in your life grow, right there. And that one crack, all it takes is just a little tiny crack for the seed to take root. I'm hoping if you have found yourself in a place where your heart is hardened, that today there's a little crack that the seed can start to grow in for your soul. Next is the shallow soul. This is that Jesus says it was... It was dropped on a place where there's lots of rocks underneath. Maybe the topsoil is okay, but the rocks are underneath. This is the soil that is, is too shallow to grow roots. And this is one of the things that I have, this is one of the reasons I left the church the first time when I was preaching. I got so tired of seeing Christian people who could wear the shirts really well, who could use the Jesus as the reason for the season signs on the outside of their house at Christmas. But that's as far as it went. It was so superficial that it didn't take root. And you know how I know it didn't take root? Because when tragedy hit their life, they hit the bottle. When tragedy hit their life, they hit sex. They hit something else. They, did, they never understood. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted me to pray with them. They wanted to wear the t-shirts. They wanted to talk about devotions. They wanted to read the books. But when things came down, when brass tacks hit brass tacks, they went somewhere else. It's because the roots in their life never took hold. Some of you are there. And the world causes this. The world can cause our souls to be superficial. We can read something. We can look on the internet. And if you want to, you can get up every morning, listen to a Joel Olstein sermon, an Andy Stanley sermon, a John Mitchell sermon, and you can walk away from that sermon thinking, I am a Christian, and I am the right kind of person, and I am excited. And by the time you get out of the shower, you can realize that those roots didn't take hold in your life. 
And not because the words weren't good, and not because they weren't powerful, but because your soul is broken. And in your soul there are rocks, and you're just, the stuff isn't taking root, and it sounds good, but it falls over after a little bit, because it just isn't taking root in your life. And it's how I started this sermon today. You want your life to change? <laughs> then stop listening, and start doing, for crying out loud. Start taking these things and making them a part of your life. I get this all the time, and this, man, this keeps me going as a preacher. I get emails and Facebook messages from you. I've been in a church of, five, of four or 5,000 people when I was preaching once, and, and for years didn't get as many emails as I get from this group of people. Saying, all right, John, I get it, I get it, I know what you're saying, the stream, that's all cute. What does that mean tomorrow when I go into my cubicle at work? What does that mean for my husband who hasn't really spoke to me like a human in the last 15 years? What does that mean for my life? I, when I get those questions from you, my initial reaction is, oh boy, I've got to get this figured out. And my second reaction is, thank God for people who aren't superficial, who realize that they need roots that grow deeper. My soul becomes shallow when my interests and thoughts don't go past myself. When I get up in the morning and it's all about me, then everything in my life becomes shallow. And man, you see this with church people all the time. I want to look good. I want to look like I got, I got my act together as a Christian. But when it comes down to it, it's all about how I look. And when people look at me, I want them to see something special. We don't have a lot of that around here. But when, some, when somebody looks at me, I want them to feel like I have things together. And everything is about me. If that's you today, if you can't get your, and you've heard me say this before, it almost got me. I mean, I've had some really weird looks as I start this sentence. I'm not going someplace bad. But if you can't get your head out of your life, see? See what I did there? <laughs> if you can't get your head out of your life long enough to know that you're not here for you, that it's not about you, you're going to end up with roots that don't take hold. Every word I say is going to make you go, I'm going to make that change. And by noon, it'll be about you again, and the roots will die, and the tree will be gone, and you'll have to wait for another seed to take hold. But if you can say once and for all, I'm not a victim. Yeah, bad things have happened to me. Bad things happen to everybody. I'm not a victim. My life is about being a soul on earth that God has put here for a reason. If you can get to that point, you'll start to notice that the words that you hear, the sermons that you hear, the messages that you read, the Bible when you read it, those kinds of things will start to take root in you, and you'll find out one day somebody will go, hey man, I just noticed um, you're just a lot nicer than you used to be. And you'll go, huh, I wasn't even trying. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. They just go, oh, peace, patience. Somebody goes, huh, what is this peace thing you got? And you go, hang on, I have to think about that. Yeah, I do. It comes in ease because it's, it's rooted deeply. But it only comes when you commit to not having a shallow soul, shallow life. Next slide. Finally, Jesus talks about the cluttered soul, and this is the one that's worse for me. The worries, the stress, the money in life, they, they become thorns in your life, and they begin to choke out your soul especially stress and money for me, they will choke out my very existence. And here's what's funny to me. Not funny, it's just the way it works. My, these things start to choke out my life, and I start thinking, oh no, me, 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 me. My money, my stuff. I want that. I need that. People are going to think of me as this. And so then I end up being choked out and shallow at the same time. And if I'm not careful then, 
Somebody hurts me and I get my feel bads hurt and that hurt causes me to now become hardened. And so now, in Jesus' story, I got a hardened heart, a shallow life, and the, the stress of life, the pressures of life, the money and the stuff of life is now choking me too. This could be the most dangerous because it happens so subtly. I was talking to a lady yesterday. Reese had his first day of soccer yesterday and there were, it was a mass of humanity. I mean, it, it looked like... I don't know, it, it, it looked like Woodstock out there. I mean, it was unbelievable. There were thousands of parents and thousands of kids, and I'm standing on the sideline, and this mom comes running up. She rips her kid out there on the field, and they're 15 minutes late. He throws his shirt on. He's crying, and she's saying, you will have fun. And she's putting this shirt on him, and she comes over to me, and she says, oh. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm John. She didn't even say her name before she starts going, well, he had a party last night, we had to get him to this party on time. He was up all night. Then we had to go pick him up. And his brother's playing three fields over. His sister's two fields over. His grandma's over there. We have a big party after church tomorrow. And she's just going on and on and on and on and on. And I mean, I started, I know I'm preaching this sermon. So I'm here, I'm feeling the chokedness. And I'm feeling choked. I'm starting to go, oh, I, I, I need to get away from you, lady. And you know that's how it is in your life, too. That chokeness, the more you pull that stuff in your life, and you're like, well, first I've got to get my kids here, and then I've got to get them here, and then I've got to say, you're going to have fun. Wipe those tears. You're going to play soccer, and you're going to put on this shirt, and you're going to do it. And you, and In the long run, people start going, man, you're choking me, dude. Like, I, you're choking yourself, and I can see that, but your life is choking mine. If you find yourself there, and it's not just busyness. It can be work. It can be money. It can be stuff you find yourself there today, you need to know it's damaging your soul. The cluttered soul gets attached to the wrong things in life. You know, I said that just as a little baby came right, right up here and got put in that thing. You know how you're, you know exactly what I mean, guys. Your soul can get cluttered with all this stuff and then a baby comes into your life and you go, IRS who? I'll figure that out. Like, I, I, stress, family, I'm sorry, honey, you said something to me the other day, and I gave you the silent treatment, and then we did that thing we always do where you pretend you're mad and I pretend I'm mad. Uh, let's just, let's call that off because we have something bigger. But today you need to know, if you can get to that place in your life where you can realize that the, the stuff of life is, are actually thorns your life, that they're actually choking you out. If you can get to that place in your life, you can start to tend your soul in a way that will actually make change in your life. More than a Christian t-shirt, more than showing up at church on Sunday, more than singing really loud in the praise team, more than playing an instrument, more than serving with the kids, more than any of that stuff. If you can get to a place where the soul of you, the deepest part of you longs for the deepest part of God, it will change who you are. I've got a long time today. Next slide. But you need to know your soul is waiting. It can be saved. That's the amazing thing. Your soul is waiting. There's this small part of you, this soul that, that's quiet, but it is fierce. It wants you to be where God is, and it's waiting. It can be saved, but it takes softness, depth, and space, and you won't get it from the world. So I want to tell you this today. I love this. This is straight from this book. It's not my words. John Ortberg writes like a letter from, from your soul. And this is the way I'm going to end the sermon today. So we're almost done. He says this. 
a letter from your soul. I've been waiting. I'm shy, terribly shy. Even the most boisterous person, I'm shy. I can only whisper and never shout. You may never even notice me, but I'm here, waiting. I do not lie on the surface. If you look and listen patiently, you will know. I speak through your confusion, through your wanting, and through your hurt. When you stammer and when you say what you did not mean to say, it was me. When you watch a sunset and hear a child laugh, or listen to a piece of music that causes you to suddenly become choked up, it is I that causes your eye to fill. When you are addicted, it is I that is chained. When the sun burns up and the universe melts away, I will be here. Like Glenn Close in the movie Fatal Attraction, I will not be ignored. I can be wounded, lost, repulsed, or redeemed. Your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than you think. It is my health that makes your life heaven or hell. I am your soul. I am here. This is what I believe about you today. Band, you can come up. So here's the question for you today. Will you examine the condition of your soul? I'm not asking you if you're going to heaven or hell. I'm asking you, will you examine the condition of your soul right now, today? And then what will you do? What will you do next to tend to the most important part of you? Some of you today are going to walk out of here and do nothing. Some of you are going to today are, are re resonating with what I said. You're going to feel like that letter was actually from your soul. But you're going to walk out and you're going to do nothing. And I, I want you to know if that happens, it's okay. But the more you push your soul away, the easier it becomes to push it away. The further you get from the person you want to be and the life that you want. So I'm going to give you a chance today. And here's what, the way we do this every week, just something kind of brass tacks, rubber meets the road. Here's the way you can start right here, right now, today. You can just say to God during this song, God, I, I, I want your soul to talk to my soul. This is what the psalmist says. That the, he says he, his soul cries out, the deepest part of his soul cries out for the deepest part of God. Now, here's what we do as Christians. We go, you know what, God... I want the top of my life, just the, the part that pretends that I'm okay, I want that to cry out to the deepest part of you, God. And God goes, no, that's not what I'm interested in. I don't want your words. I don't want your songs. I mean, all that stuff's okay with me, but that's not what I really want. What I want is the deepest part of you, the part of you that longs the most for life. That's what I want most. This is your opportunity to give that to him today. And then start to do something with your life. And your soul. Come see me afterwards today. If you don't know how to keep your soul, there are all kinds of ways, and we're going to continue to talk about those. Next week will be our last sermon series, and I'm going to bring books. I'm bringing some things to say. Here's some resources and some ways you can continue to tend to your soul. I'm going to give you a chance today to say to God, I want to clean up what's downstream in my life, and I want to start with my soul. Would you pray to God this morning? I'll be sitting, standing right back there. Stand with us and sing.